Let's, let's get into it then. So you're ready. There's going to be several things fly out of here that can change your life. Not because I say them, because they come from the Word of God. And the Spirit of God always uses the Word of God to teach and equip us. We want shortcuts. God says, when I give you shortcuts, you don't learn anything. You get in the Word, right? Seek Him. Here we go. Secret of contentment. And he says where we left off a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to pick back up in verse 6. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Because he just talked about people teaching false truth. That sounds so good to our logical, fleshly mind. Sounds better than the real truth. It makes more human, logical, fleshly sense. Right? But it's wrong. He even said that some of these try to use, and the word godliness there could be in a broad sense of religion. They, they, they suppose that it's a means of gain, personal gain for themselves. So Paul's against these guys. He's pointed that out. In fact, he said, from such, withdraw yourself. But then he says, but real godliness is the, is the sense you get from that. With contentment is in fact great gain. Now these people are trying to rip folks off and are using religion and piety and church and all that as a guise for that. Is that still going on today? You better believe it, and it's high tech. All right? Okay, but he says, godliness, real godliness with contentment is great benefit, great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith. (coughs) Did you hear that? Some, because of this, have strayed from the faith. That's the faith in Jesus Christ, but the faith can also indicate that body of scriptures in which we put our faith that brings life to us, eternal life, God's truth, the teachings of Christ. They've strayed from them because of what? The love of money, because they love money so much. Then he says, they strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I want to pick back up in verse 17. So what if you are blessed and you are already really rich? Okay, nothing wrong with being rich unless you got there illegally. But he's got some word for you. You ready? Is is this apply to anybody in here? I don't know. But you know what? We're going to learn it, right? He says, uh, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, verse 17 nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Okay, 
Now, as we're in Timothy, we're starting to, 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 to apply a lot of these things, and they're living in a crazy world there that they're in. We've talked about that, the Roman world, how mixed up it was, how wicked it was. But we look around at our world, and we're seeing even, you know what, even more crazy mixed up world. I mean, think about the things that are going on. I want to tell you folks, as we get into this, we need this because it's easy to come. If you got half, and you know what, common sense isn't even like, do people even know what that is now? You know, but if you have any, what was it we used to say? If you have even the sense that God gave a horse, you can look around and you can tell things can't move, can't keep moving like they're moving faster, faster, and faster. If you've got half any sense, you know that we are living in the latter part of the last days. We are, and uh, humanity has lost its mind. Humanity has lost its bearing. All kinds of sin and perversions. And it's not just that we want to do what we want to do. It's like God's a creator. God designed things a certain way. And we're just like, we don't care. We want to do it our way. It is not. Can I just say it the way I want to say it? Ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. I mean, you think about all the things that we're doing now and promoting and celebrating things. That not only go against the word of God, it even goes against nature and common sense that we used to have. It's rampant today. But I saw, I could start naming them, couldn't I? You got some popping to your mind, start naming them. All the perversion, all the craziness, all the sinfulness, all the stuff that's being promoted and celebrated today. But, but, can I, can I, I'm bringing this somewhere, are you with me? But when I get into the word of God, guess what? We got to be careful here. Because we can look at all the crazy stuff going on around us. And yeah, that's true. But we can miss some things. In 2 Timothy, right before this last letter that Paul writes, not long before he dies, we believe he was executed because of his faith. But he writes Timothy one more time. And in that, he tells him, some things are going to happen in the last days, Timothy. And it's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He says, know this, that in the last days, our day, what kind of times will come? Perilous. We are living in perilous times. That's why we need this. But what I want to point out here is the next verse. What are the first two things that he mentions are characteristics of that day of last days of perilous times. Now there's all kinds of sin going on. But watch the first two that he mentions. He says, For men, that means all mankind, will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. I thought he was going to talk about abortion and homosexuality and talk about murder and talk about white supremacy and talk about racism and all that. And you know, he talks about all those things. But the first two things that flies off the page when he talks about the perilous times to come, don't miss this. Because, you know, this might be some of us and not those other folk out there, right? Lovers of themselves, lovers of money. He's talking about pride and he's talking about greed. It's rampant. In our capitalistic country, In poor countries, in Muslim countries, 
countries that used to be Christian. It's rampant in our world. It's rampant in the church, these things. Somehow we think, we, we, we disguise it up under a garb of religion. And like those people, we try to pretend that it's all good. And a means of personal gain. That's not what Paul says here. We're addicted to it. Some preachers even promote it. It's called greed, folks. And it's a problem. In fact, Jesus warned us. He said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. He says either he'll hate one, love the other one, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And he says you cannot serve God in mammon. And mammon was a phrase that represented all of the physical material riches and goods of their day or our day. You can't worship your stuff, your bank account, money, and things, and at the same time love, worship, and serve God Almighty. You can't have two masters. That's what Jesus said. So what is greed, really? We're talking about greed. Can't talk about contentment until we talk about what it's up against, right? Word of God's got it all there for us. Are you getting this? All right. What is greed? I'm going to throw it up there. Get Get some notes on this. It is the uncontrolled desire to acquire. Uncontrolled. Now, it's okay to have a desire to acquire. Not saying we shouldn't have a desire to better ourselves, to do better what we've been doing, to grow, expand, whatever, in our business and our, our, our homes and things like that. Not saying that. But I'm saying it's the uncontrolled desire to acquire that comes from selfishness of only thinking of ourselves and what I want, not what God wants. And also it does involve covetousness because we're constantly looking around and measuring ourselves out by what other people have and we want what they have, not just what we have. I not only want to get what I can get to equal you, I'd like for you to not have what you have so I can have it. Remember that 10th commandment? See, all the other commandments, you can pretty much look at your life and see whether any of it's happened or not. But that 10th one, Thou shalt not covet, whether it's your neighbor's spouse or their stuff. That's an inside thing. I can't look at you and tell if you're coveting or not. That's where Paul said that sin rose up and slew him and proved to him that he was a sinner. Is that he could pretty much check off the list in a legalistic way and try to think he was making it uh, through the law. But he realized finally when it came to that inside job of covetousness, he was a sinner. Well, it involves covetousness. Um, you know, God did put a, inside of us the desire to, to expand and to do well, right? You know, it's just like he gave birds the desire to acquire straw and build nests, right? And, and squirrels, the desire to go out and gather nuts for the winter, right? And you know what? But anything uncontrolled becomes a problem. And the problem with us is, is we don't see any of this as a problem because we look around and, well, all I'm trying to do is keep up with the Smiths and the Joneses. I apologize if your name is Smith or Jones. But, you know. But God says some of these things are off limits. They are really not yours to want. And the reason why he does that is he knows that the desire for it and trying to acquire some of these things needs to be controlled because otherwise they will harm you. God's not trying to keep something from you. He's trying to keep something for you. That's why the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, we think it was Paul, (coughs) not positive, but probably, 
He said this, he said to these Jewish people, he said, Hebrews 13, 5, he said, let your conduct, let your manner of living be without, what? Covetousness. That's what I was just talking about. Weren't you listening? Oh yeah, you were, good. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Kind of the same gist of teaching that he's giving Timothy, right? In Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6. He says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You've got God. Why do you feel like you never ever have enough? Okay. Now, contentment. Back to that. Which is the opposite of covetousness and greed. Okay? Contentment. What is it? Now, contentment, I, are you got to hear this. As we study this word, I find that contentment is a subjective word. What do I mean by that? That means it can be interpreted and applied various ways depending on the context. For instance, contentment can be good or bad. Just like love is subjective. It can be good or bad. You can love things that you're not supposed to love. You can love things that are bad. See? Same thing with contentment. So you need to get the Bible definition of this. When I start, see, that's where people get false teaching. Is they'll take a word like that, and Paul said to be content, and they'll misdefine it. Well, I don't want to misdefine this. I want to, when Paul says contentment, I want to know what he meant, and I want to look at the context of the teachings. Okay? And because some would define contentment as an attitude of not having a care in the world. Well, that sounds good. So there's times I wish that I didn't have a care in the world. You know, a place that we all want to escape to sometimes, all right? Not having a care in the world. Others wrongly see contentment as something to be avoided that it's a serious spiritual enemy to them it means being satisfied with mediocrity or settling for just what makes us happy instead of for what makes us holy sounds very good doesn't it but neither one of those are the biblical scriptural definition it it avoids these two extremes god's word portrays contentment as a desirable trait a level where God gives us a level of satisfaction that every Christian should experience. Yet it functions in a realm of reality. It retains responsibility and righteousness. Properly understood, it graces the Christian life. And properly understood, this contentment will foster gratefulness and peace. And it pleases God. What are we talking about? Contentment. It's a word that means a feeling of sufficiency and of satisfaction. That's what Paul's talking about. One man defined it like this. It's an inner God-given sufficiency that I'm sufficient in Christ. I'm sufficient and I'm satisfied with everything that he has for me. I'm satisfied in him. And it says it's an inner God-given sufficiency which does not depend on material circumstances. Okay? You can have that. So all of a sudden, it doesn't matter whether you're rich 
or you're poor, or you're going through a drought, or you're going through a time of plenty. Like Paul said in another place, I've learned in whatever place or state I'm in to be content. And we need to because here's the problem. Sometimes we don't have what we need or think we need. Things, times get tough, right? Did you know Paul says you can have that satisfaction that blesses your heart during that just like you do in times of abundance? And you're on vacation and you're sitting on the beach just relaxing? You can have contentment when everything at work is piled up and at home's going crazy. It doesn't mean, it doesn't have, in other words, it doesn't have to do with circumstances. It has to do with relationship with God. Because I want to tell you, if it has to do with circumstances, I can't control whether I'm going to be content or not. In order for me to be content, everybody in my life, everything in my health, and everything at my home, and all the people at church, and everybody in this town needs to do what I want them to do and stay out of my way, and everywhere else I'm going to have a tough time, right? So when we rely on circumstances, we're putting it into everybody else's hands. And God is saying, I don't care whether the storm is raging or whether the seas are calm. I can give you contentment in all things. And that's what Paul was discovering. And this is what we're talking about here. Uh, This is it. Okay? It doesn't mean just settling for mediocrity. It doesn't mean that you don't push yourself and try to excel It means that we have that inner sufficiency that we feel and satisfaction that comes from our relationship with God. Now, I always want more of Him. Right? I'm content with the Lord, but I'm not content that I've got enough of the Lord. I want to know more. I want to grow closer. But that's still coming out of an area of satisfaction that He puts in my life already. I want more of it. Okay? But what happens when we're just never satisfied? God blesses us, but we're not satisfied. It means not that we don't want to continue to grow, but it means that we're not grateful and appreciate what he's given us. What happens when we're always wanting more? Okay, I've got some. We're going to look at some other scripture. Are you ready? You need to get ready to look them up. I'm going to put them up here, but I don't want that to make you lazy. I just don't want it to cause us to waste time. I want you to be able to see and hear the verses, and I want you to be able to write them down so you don't just look them up now and miss what I say next, but that you can look them up later and meditate on them. Okay? All right, effects of always wanting more. As I look in the Scripture, if you're never content, what happens? Well, one of the things that happens, one of the effects is we find in the Bible is fatigue. We're always worn out. We're always worn to a frazzle. In Proverbs 20. 3, 4, he says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. That is, we push ourselves and exhaust ourselves in various ways that don't benefit ourselves. Okay? We're pursuing the wrong riches. He said, don't wear yourself out. Um, So there are, this is one, there are five very specific things uh, that happen when I don't control this drive to acquire this coveting that can happen, this greed. And one of them is fatigue. So we push harder and harder and harder to get ahead, to get ahead, to get ahead. Somebody else got something new. We got we to keep up with them, all this. Is it a rat race or what? Do you agree? It's a rat race. Well, guess what? Why are you trying to win? Because a rat race can only be won by, guess what? A rat. Fatigue. Here's another one. Are you ready? Another one of these that happen, an effect of always wanting more, 
is that one. Debt. Debt. We find that in Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, he says, Whoever loves money... Remember, Paul told Timothy, it's, the, it's not money, it's the love of money. Money in itself is not good or bad. It just is, right? It's just good or, it, it's not good or bad, it's just, it just is. It's what you do with it, okay? Um, and so, uh, that's why he says the love of money. And he says here, whoever loves money will never have enough money. And you just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, the truth is, a lot of times what we think are our needs are actually our greeds. It's usually not that we don't make enough money. Not usually. We just want too much stuff. You know, it's really simple when I step back and think about it. Like, what's the matter with me? The whole reason why I have a problem with debt is I spend more than what I make. Stop spending more than you're bringing in. Just stop it. Okay? We want too much. We've got this problem that we inherited from our uncle, Sam. It's called deficit spending. Right? And it always costs more to have more. Does it not? It, if you're going to have more, you got more insurance, you got more upkeep you got it costs more to have more somebody said well i hope i win that new corvette what are you going to do the first time you got to take it to the shop what are you going to do when you go down and pay sales tax see (laughs) so it's not as simple as you think if the grass seems greener over on the other side i can just guarantee you the water bill's higher too amen so debt you could spend a whole you could spend a whole sermon on each one of these. I know, I know. But these are just some of the things that happen. We have some of these things, have some fatigue, have some debt, and then let's move on. What's next? Well, there's another big one that I don't want to talk about, but I have to. Worry. He specifically says, and you notice a lot of these come from Ecclesiastes. Solomon giving us some more wisdom there, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. He says in Ecclesiastes 5:12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Whether he eats little or much, he sleeps good. Put in a good day, thankful for what he has, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. He goes to bed with a full belly. He's just got so much stuff to think about and worry about, he can't even sleep at night. But the working man, he sleeps well, whether he has a lot or little. So worry, see, you you add these first three together, fatigue, And then you add debt, because we're not content. And then you add this one, worry. And then you get the next one. When you add those three together, it equals that one, conflict. Huh? Yeah. Conflict. James, let's go to the New Testament. James, he says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war inside your members? You're just wanting more stuff and more things to satisfy yourself. You're never satisfied. Conflict comes. That's where it comes from. We're always wanting more. You know, one of the number one causes of divorce is financial tension. It begins to break everything else down. Covetousness always causes problems. Because when you have 
what I want, we're going to have conflict. Okay? Conflict. Big thing that happens in our life when we don't listen to what Paul's saying. And then number five, dissatisfaction. And that is, remember Ecclesiastes 5.10 that I've already read. It says a person who loves money will never have enough. The happiest, the happiest things are, the, the, excuse me, let me say this right. The happiness things can bring, that things, that material things, the happiness that material things can bring you don't last. They just don't last. Um, at first, you're like, wow, this is great. Man, I like having this. This is so wonderful. But a little while, you're bored with it or it tears up or it rusts out. It just won't last. Sometimes we're always trying to get something else to do something new. All of this to try to make us feel better about our boring, meaningless lives. Always having to try to come up with something new, something new. I've got to have something new. I've got to buy something new because my life is just so boring and just so uninteresting. I need something to make it seem better. And we buy stuff we can't afford. And then it doesn't bring the satisfaction that we thought that it would. And, see, it's that law of diminishing returns. This greed and covetousness is one of the biggest reasons for dissatisfaction in our world today. We want more and more and more to make us feel better and make us what we think will be happier. And the more we get, the, the, the happiness doesn't last, but the desire for the happiness grows more and more, right? And then so the desire grows, but the ability of things to satisfy that desire goes down as the desire grows and that gap gets bigger and bigger. It's just like with a drug addict, that you have a desire for this drug to make you feel a type of euphoria that you think you've got to have and you desire that so much that it takes more drugs, more drugs to get the same result over here and the desire keeps growing but its ability to deliver goes down and that gap gets bigger and bigger to the point of absolute insanity. The law of diminishing returns and it happens in a lot of areas of life. Dissatisfaction. I've seen people that have so much but they're not content. They're never satisfied. So what's the antidote? What's the antidote to greed and coveting? Paul gave it to us. Contentment. Right there. Oh, you thought, you thought I was going to give some quick, easy answer that just fix us all up, right? Instead of that Bible verse I've already read. No, no, that's actually it. That's actually it. God just wants us to open ourselves up to it. Yeah, I thought it'd be easier than that. If it's so easy, you won't learn anything. God wants to teach us this. Paul talks about that in that verse that I've already alluded to in Philippians 4, 11. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am, to even Missouri, okay, I'm kidding, that whatever state I'm in, to be content. Did you notice he said, I learned, I have learned. And the, 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 the tense of that is, is I have learned and I'm continuing to learn. It's not something you just got. It's something you got to learn. And learning takes work. And it takes, it takes sacrifice. School's just starting. Don't you wish there was a way you could just plug kids into things and just, they just get it? But learning takes work. And that's what Paul's talking about here. I learned it. How do you learn stuff? You learn by going through and realizing the principles of God are true and right doesn't come automatically, and it definitely doesn't come naturally. 
It's an education process. I'm learning this, okay? That's the antidote. So how do I learn it? Real quick, I'm going to throw a few things out there, and then we're going to say, Lord, help us to apply and respond to this. Once again, from Scripture, I find that one of the ways to learn contentment is, first of all, stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Stop it. You see, we're geared that way. And people have always done it. But people haven't always had television with advertisement whose sole purpose is to make you feel dissatisfied with the toothpaste you're using and that you try this one, right? Because if you're satisfied with what you've got, and you know, the whole technology thing, if the last iPhone is enough to totally satisfy you and you never have to buy another one, they go out of business. They've got to make that thing to where it's got to be upgraded. You've got to, you've got to desire the next best thing. I'm learning contentment. That's why I always just take Clarissa's hand-me-down cell phones. Uh, she's done with it, you know. It's always okay. That's, I'm just trying to be pitiful. I'm sorry. I am pitiful. I don't have to try, do I? Uh, but but you realize technology is that way, but, but it's not just technology. Other things are that way. It built in with this, this uh, see, that's the big problem in free enterprise and capitalism, you know, because there's big problems everywhere, but one of our problems is it can give, uh, it, can, it can let loose uh, a, a firestorm of greed. And we've got that in our country. Yeah. Why do you, why, I mean, I understand why some prescriptions cost so much because of the research and the amount of money had to, they had to spend to research and then go through all the hoops that they have to go through to test it and do all of that. But a big part of it is greed. Is it not? It's greed. Okay. You know, there's some things, there's no reason why this should cost that much. It's greed, and because they can do it, they will do it. It's just a never-ending thing. But we're, 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 we're taught in our culture to never be satisfied with yourself because if, you if you would be satisfied with everything that you have for the next couple of years, uh, a lot of other people are going to go out of business. Our economy is counting on the fact that you're not satisfied with your stuff and you buy more stuff. Okay? He says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. Quit comparing yourself to others. Paul says this isn't wise, it's dumb. How do you react when someone that you're close to gets something new? Oh, that's good. Or do you immediately have the desire to acquire? We need to learn to admire without the desire to acquire. I'm not going to say it again. But I thought that was pretty good. I had to work a while to get that to sound the way I wanted it to roll off there. So why do we compare? Because we have this society teaches us that what we're doing is, is not just being dissatisfied with what we have because we want more, but we keep score. They, our culture tries to instill in us that we need to keep score. And we're insecure Because we're trying to find our security in possessions instead of in Christ. That's why he says in verse 9, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare. Many foolish and harmful lusts, they will drown you in destruction and perdition. That doesn't sound good, does it? 
I don't have to explain all those words because I think you get the idea that Paul is shooting for there. Really, the problem is not the possession of possessions. The problem is when the possessions actually possess us. Did you get that? It's not that you possess possessions. It's when the possessions possess you. That's where the problem is. And people sometimes sacrifice almost anything for more, more, more for me. Even relationships. You heard about the lady that won the lottery. I'm not going to go into that, you know. Because, you know, here's, you want to know what the Bible doesn't say a lot about gambling, but you want to know what the moral principle of gambling is? Can I just, time out, can I just give you that? Here's the moral principle of gambling is that I can't win unless you lose. You, you get that? The only way I could win is if a whole bunch of you lose. So when I say, I want to I get this, and I, boy, I want to win this, what I also say, I hope all of you waste your money and lose, except me. That's it. That's the only way you can benefit. I don't want to benefit by everybody else losing, right? That's not the way I want to benefit. Okay. Time back in. Lady won the lottery. She won $17 million. She called to her live-in boyfriend and said, Hey, I just won the lottery. I'm worth $17 million. Start packing, babe. He goes, Great. Warm weather or for cold weather? She goes, I don't care as long as you're gone when I get back. Out of there. Don't need you anymore. People will sacrifice relationships. All right, so stop comparing myself to others. It's going to help us go a long way in achieving what Paul was talking about here. And then, um, besides that, next thing is to actually learn to appreciate what I already do have. Huh? Why do you think that you'll be satisfied with more if you don't even appreciate what you already have? Can we go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 19? As for every man to whom God has given, and sometimes God will do this. He will actually give those whom he can trust riches and wealth and great possessions. You see it through the Bible. But sometimes I wonder, why should God trust me with any more when I'm doing such a terrible job managing what I already have? If I just had more, don't mean I'll do better. It probably means I'll do worse. Anyway, he says, for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him. And, and did you see that next part? And has given the power to eat of it. So Paul, or the, Solomon's saying that there are some that they may have this wealth and all this stuff, but they don't really have the power to eat of it, to partake of it, to enjoy it. He says, that's what he says. And has given him, God also gives him the power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, to be satisfied and appreciate what he has. He says, this is the gift of God. That's what Solomon says. To not only have these things, but it's also a gift of God to enjoy what you have. Appreciate what you have. It's a gift from God. If you have the ability to say, well, I earned it and I worked hard. Who gave you the ability to get out there and work? Well, I have a desk job. I didn't have to do physical work, but I'm so smart. Who gave you your brain? Who gave you opportunities to get education? Who is it that caused the plants to grow to provide the food that you had available to grow and be healthy? It's a gift from God, folks, whether we want to admit it or not. We should be grateful and worship God for what we have. Even if other people don't think it's much, 
God wants you to appreciate it. God actually wants you to enjoy all the things that He's given you. But remember, He's the Creator, and He's the owner, and it's really actually His, and He can take it away at any time. Okay? Enjoy it. We get into a trap whenever we do the when and then thinking. You know what I mean? The when and then thinking. It's kind of like, when I get blank, then I'll be happy. When I get that new job, when I get that new home, when I get that next raise, when I get then. Well, God's saying, you know, that might be great things to have, but I doubt you're going to be very happy if you're not learning to appreciate what you already have right now. And thank God for it. That's why we give thanks, you know. We give, see, we're a little different. You know, we, we have a meal and we offer thanks. We ask God to bless it and we thank him. But there were people not too many generations back, even in this country, would thank God because they had a meal. And they recognized that, God, you allowed us to have food to eat today. Now, we thank God, but we've got food to eat for months already stored away in our freezers and our pantries. You do realize that most of us in this room aren't what a lot of people in America would call rich. But did you know if you consider the income of those around this planet, even some of the more lower middle class and poor among us rank in the top 5% of incomes of the world. People who are totally on government assistance in the United States live better than some of the wealthier people in parts of the world. They live better and have more and don't have to worry about as much. Do you realize that? We want to gripe and complain about what we don't have. And so God says, I want you to enjoy. In verse 17, he says, those who are rich in this age, 1 Timothy 6, he says, those who are rich in this present age, don't be haughty, don't be proud of yourself, think you did it all yourself. Don't trust in uncertain riches. They may fly away. But he says, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So enjoy, but put your focus on the God who gave it to you rather than the stuff you have. And yeah, God wants you to enjoy it. There are only two ways to have it. I realize there's only really two ways to have enough. Is that either I have to keep getting more and more or I have to simply want less and less. Huh? Okay. Which one do I have the power to do better? (laughs) Okay. Maybe there's a balance there. All right. So appreciate what I have. Stop comparing myself to others. And use what I have to help others. He says that the love of money is what brings all kinds of evil and causes some people to stray from the faith in their greed and they pierce themselves through. And then he says that not only are we not, if we have things, to be proud and trust in those things, but to trust God, but that we're to do good. Do you see that in verse 18? Let them do good, they that that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. I mean, you can do more. If you have more and you're a good steward of it, God may give you more because he knows that he can use you more to do more, to help others and to serve him more. Use what I have to help others. He says in verse 19, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. So here's the thing. You're trying to gather all this treasure on earth, treasure on earth, stuff for me, stuff for me, and you're going to die 
I could go other places. This, this sermon could be like super long, but I'm going I'm to stop right here. We're going to set it down, all right? Uh, here's the thing. Here's, Solomon said, you know, you work all your life and build up all this stuff and to, to, to do what? To leave it to somebody who hasn't worked a day and may blow it in no time. That's a paraphrase. Use what I have to help others. That what God has given me the ability to have so that I can be used by him. I'm going to enjoy and I'm going to bless him for it. All things belong to God. And whatever he puts into your trust, use it for his glory. It's possible to have great wealth. Is it possible to have great wealth and not be greedy? Yes, it is possible to have great wealth and not be greedy. Is it possible to be dirt poor and be one of the greediest people in town? Yes. Yes, it is. How can I be wealthy but avoid becoming materialistic? Don't be proud of your wealth. This is what he's saying here. Right here it is. Don't be proud of your wealth. I'm just, I'm just telling you what Paul's telling. Don't put your trust in money. Your security is not in your bank account or your portfolio. It's in God. Remember 2008 and nine. Okay, never mind. Use your money for good. Don't let your money use you. And also, like he says here, give cheerfully. God loves it. Materialism says get. The opposite of that is give. Acts 20, 55, Paul is reminded by Jesus himself, the resurrected Christ reminds Paul, it is more blessed to what? To give than to receive. It is more blessed. You're happier. Blessed means happier. Did you know that? And here's the last thing. So I use what I have to help others, but I focus on what's going to last. That's where I really get contentment. My focus isn't on the fluctuation of the stuff that I think I need and, and, and want and stuff like that. But my focus is on the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4.18 While we do not look, focus, look, focus, see, get it? Do not focus or look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. How do I look at something I can't see? I want to tell you the most real things are things you can't see. Everything you can see and touch, one of these days is going to be gone, the Bible says. But it's that eternal thing that God has got for you, that home that He's preparing for you, that eternity, that salvation that you can't physically see is more real than stuff you can see. And if something is eternal, because He says the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. What's more real? Something that's temporary or something that's forever? Something that's forever is more real. So I'm telling you, the things you can't see with your physical eye are more real than the things you can see. How do you see what you can't see with your physical eye? Only one way, that is you have to see it by faith. By trusting God. We walk not by sight, but what? By faith. That's what he's been trying to teach. So the last question is, what am I living for? What am I living for? Contentment with godliness. Great gain. I want that kind of life. Lord, help me. Amen? And if I apply his scriptures, and this is just a tip of the iceberg, this is going to happen. It doesn't happen automatically or naturally. Paul said, I've learned. Are you learning anything today? Are you willing to put it to work? Let's pray.